Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hi, good morning. For the past few Sundays, we have had the privilege of hearing Pastor Andre speak from his heart about church and all things related to discipleship and this and that. We've been leaning in as a community, just listening about how uh, you know we are oriented as a community and as a family of God and as a missional people and as resilient disciples, right? So um, today, I thought I'll just like burrow in a little bit more on on some of those uh, 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 topics with a passage that been speaking has been highlighted to me so um, I hope that the sermon is going to be not just a blessing but that each one of us would just uh, hear the Spirit of God and what he has to say to each of our hearts right so open our ears open our hearts and invite you to bring uh, your Bibles along with you where you're seated and lean in and listen to what God's Spirit has to say to us Right. And so I'm going to talk about this thing called exile. Right. And there is this theme of exile that we see from the Old Testament all through to the New. And uh, some of you, you've already noticed this, but some uh, for some of us, it may be like a new thing. Right. But uh, truly, this theme of exile and being, you know, strangers in a strange land is not something new. So we're going to delve a little bit into that today. I start, I'm starting off with this verse from First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, that says, Peter, uh, in his writing, his letter to uh, uh, the recipients of this letter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so you see in this, even the context of Peter starting off his letter to uh, these recipients, he's uh, addressing them as elect exiles of the dispersion, right? And then what does it mean to be in exile? Uh, generally speaking, a person or people who, who is in exile are people who have um, peculiar uh, a sense of identity. Um, they are peculiar in that way, uh, peculiar in their priorities, in their affections, in their allegiance, peculiar in their citizenship, uh, peculiar in their uh, sense of mission and purpose uh, and all that uh, would be how I would encapsulate it. And so you see this theme across the book of First Peter. That's why we get this verse in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that reads, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. 
And this gives a sense of even that resilience that we heard about last Sunday, doesn't it? Being resilient disciples, being people who would abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against us because we understand our identity as a chosen people and a royal priesthood, a people that belong to God. So peculiar in identity, in citizenship, in our allegiance, in our sense of purpose and mission and, and all that. Right. Stanley Hauerwas has this quote in one of his writings where he says, We would like a church that again asserts that God, not nations, rules the world, that the boundaries of God's kingdom transcend those of Caesar's, and that the main political task of the church is the formation of people who see clearly the cost of discipleship and are willing to pay the price. Now, connected to our resilience, church is how well we embrace, how well we can recognize and embrace and walk out this alien and stranger status that we have as the people who are an exile people of God. And that's why alien status, right? In First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 6 to 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on in verse 13 to say, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Prepare not anything else but your minds, right? Which is a very curious thing to say. Prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says that phrase, revelation of Jesus Christ, again. And therefore, this chapter that we're going to look at today, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says a similar thing. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with what? Again, same way of thinking, right? In verse 13 says, prepare your minds for action, right? And so in chapter 4, verse 1, he says here, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, church, I want to say that being, you know, living faithfully as exiles, seeing ourselves and living out this exile status is what shapes is what should shape our imagination, our intercession, and our involvement in the world, right? And in the shaping of our imagination, intercession, and involvement in the world, how faithfully we live as exiles uh, in reference to God and, and the land, our identity, and the covenant, and the, the city that is to come, will determine if we will be found faithful to the end, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So the topic is Faithful Exiles, and we're taking this from the chapter 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. So I'm gonna, we're going to delve into four instructions that we find from this passage, uh, which we will read uh, in a moment. Uh, I'm just going to start off with prayer. Right. Father, we are here uh, as your people, uh, and we look to you as our Father, and you uh, have called us as your people. And so this morning we come with our hearts uh, and our ears ready and postured to hear from you. 
and that you, God, you through your spirit, would just uh, enable us to uh, gain insight and wisdom and understanding, even as we look at your word today. And Lord, as we look at your word, we pray that God, that our hearts uh, be good soil and that we not only hear, but it results in an obedient action on our part for your glory, ultimately. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right. And so let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. Whatever version you have right there in your home, I want you to engage together just by lifting up your voice and reading aloud different versions. It's okay. Right. 7 to verse 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're going to start off with, so what are four instructions we see from this passage? How does this passage and what Peter is telling these exiles, how does this inform and shape us together as a community of exiles? So this morning, first off, is the first one is from verse 7, sober for prayer. Now Peter is instructing them to be sober-minded, to be self-controlled and sober-minded, which in its original Greek meaning would mean like, you know, of sound judgment, be in the right mind. Now, if you've ever uh, seen someone who's drunk or if you've been drunk before, right, uh, which I'm sure some of us may be familiar with, is you have impaired judgment. Uh, vision sometimes is blurred, uh, your, you know, your movements are sluggish, your response time is very slow, um, you feel drowsy, foolish, yeah, is, 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 is when you're drunk is when you tend to do foolish things or something that you probably will regret, right, uh, the next morning. Uh, you're not lucid in your thinking, right, or, you know, your speech may be incoherent and all that stuff. And so all this picture a person who is drunk like that in a stupor versus uh, a sense of preparedness and someone who is ready to act, ready for action. And so Peter is writing here to say, be self-controlled and sober-minded so that you can pray, right? So be sober for prayer is, is what Peter is saying. Now, the word that is both like the Greek words for both self-controlled and sober-minded here is almost like a, a emphasis. It's like a double emphasis. It's two different Greek words, but it really is just associated so closely with each other. To be free from influence of intoxicants is the second word, right? The first one is to be in the right mind of sound judgment, and the second is to be free from uh, you know, influence of intoxicants. So basically, be soberly vigilant. Be vigilantly watchful. Be soberly watchful. Like so, mixture of all these meanings to emphasize what Peter is trying to say. And 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 often we may read this and be thinking, well, 
I'm not someone given to drunkenness, right? But I want to say all of us are subject to some form of drunkenness. All of us are subject to some form of intoxication, addiction, or unhealthy behavior. And that's all of us, right? Think of the parable of the sower, where in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, there is a reminder there in the parable that says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And then we also see in the parable of the ten virgins this statement that Jesus made. In uh, Matthew 25, verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So basically, to be soberly vigilant is to be in touch with spiritual things, the spiritual reality side of things, rather than worldly things. To set our minds, prepare our minds for action, right? Set our minds on the things above as opposed to things of the world. And so Luke 21, again, is a strong reminder, verses 34 to 36, where it says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that they come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. First Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Obviously not referring to physical, right? Not to sleep, but to refer to be spiritually, soberly vigilant, right? Let us keep awake and be sober. Recently, for our life group, when we, as we studied uh, the book of Colossians, even from the first 14 verses, the way that Paul was praying for the Colossian, Colossian church is, is such a good kind of like a you know, reminder and, and call again to set our minds on things above, right? To desire to be filled with such spiritual wisdom and insight and understanding so that, you know, that God would strengthen us with the power of His might. And, and we think on people like, you know, Moses in Exodus 32 or Paul in Romans 9, where in their prayer, they are so sober in terms of the spiritual reality uh, of God's desire that they pray not their own will be done, but God's desire, what's on God's heart, right? They would pray the thing that matters to God the most. And in that way, they display this sobriety in their prayer. They are so watchful to know the times and for which they should pray. And so we see that even now, God is calling us to deeper things, not just to like study the Bible, obviously, but to study the Bible to what? To know Jesus, to discover Him, and to know the deeper things and the mysteries that God desires to reveal to us. And that in itself is us being sober, for prayer, sober so that we can pray the heart and the desire of God in our time and in our day. And this is so important, even not just for these exiles that Peter is writing to, but for us as well. As a church today, how can we be sober for prayer? How can our intercession, our involvement with the world display and reflect the heart of God, the deeper things of God? So that's the first one, being sober for prayer, verse 7. Second instruction we gain from this text is being fervent in love. Verse 8, what do I mean? In the New King James Version, it says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, right? And the word for fervent there 
in the Greek, uh, ektenes, it, it means to be stretched out, to be strained, strained, without ceasing or uh, with intent, with earnestness, right? And we see in chapter 1, verse 22, same book, 1 Peter 1, 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, our culture lacks places of trust and safety, doesn't it? Sometimes in our workplace or even in our homes, uh, uh, this, this, this is something that we struggle with. Generally, many of us live pretty guarded or in, in certain hostile environments, uh, sometimes even in school or your campuses, for those of you who are students. And, and many relationships tend to be superficial, divisive, uh, yeah, downright hostile even towards believers, right? And the interesting thing is when Peter is writing this in the verse, uh, in verse 8, and above all things, uh, have fervent love. See, there is a presupposed existence of love. There is love. There is brotherly love. But love fervently. And, and when he says with the word above all, it is not to put love uh, above prayer or other things, right? We looked at prayer just now. But what it means to say, or what Peter means to say is, above all means let love be the animating force, right? For all that we do as a people and all that we are. So the animating force is the love that is fervent for each other. And this love is not love for enemies in this particular passage. What he's referring to is a love for one another among those who are sisters and brothers in the family of God. So you see the word one another repeated from verses 8 to 10 at least three times. One another, one another, one another, which is to refer to those within the same household. So the mutuality is towards each other from the same household. Almost so you can read this verse 8 as, and above all things have mutual love that is intense for one another. And if you think about this, this is not just respect or tolerating each other, right? It's not just speaking cordially, uh, being nice to each other. It's not. There's more than that. And I want to venture to say uh, it is uh, being discerning in our relationship with each other, but not damning. And being safe, a safe place, but not slack. Why? Because there ought to be encouragement and accountability at the same time. That we sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. And such that our behavior and our posture and our attitude begin to take on more and more into the likeness of Jesus because we are discerning, but not damning. And we are a safe place, but we are not slack towards the things of God and the things that please God, right? Uh, and in the, the need for certain changes in our lifestyles or in our words and our speech and all that, in our purity, right? And so are there conflicts? Will there be offenses when we seek to be encouraging and accountable to each other? Of course, uh, for sure, there will always be. In fact, this verse comes from Proverbs 10, even way back in the Old Testament, right? Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. It is not to say cover as in sweep under the carpet. It's not. 
is to even when there needs to be correction, it is done in love, spoken, uh, truth spoken in love. There is admonition, admonishment. There is mutuality. There is uh, you look out for me and I look out for you. And so James 5, 19 to 20 gives us a very important reminder. It says there, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There is healing and there is righteousness when we correct each other in this kind of fervent, loving relationship. Uh, there is vulnerability. There is sometimes pain, uh, tension, awkwardness, unpleasantness, discomfort. There are lots of growing pains as would a normal human body biologically. What more as the body of Christ as we seek to grow up together to the full stature of Christ that we are called to grow into, right? To be fully mature until the day of His coming. And so to be vulnerable that way is not merely to be vulnerable and authentic for for its own sake, but it is with the purpose of bringing about whole person healing. And when we are together in such fervent love, our vulnerability and our willing to, you know, just put ourselves out there um, in a safe environment where we can take uh, trust each other, where we can build trust over time, obviously not just instant overnight. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of uh, diligence and protection, guarding that unity, and guarding that safe environment. We are mediating God's grace for healing. All of us who are broken is just how we are broken, right? So as we mediate, as we uh, seek to grow in these relationships, we will see you know, whole person healing and people becoming more mature, more whole because of God and in the presence of each other. Now that is amazing picture of fervent love, right? And think of someone who may be drunken or something. Even then, we talk about support groups, intervention, right? And what more, even as those of us living in this time of day, times when we need to be nudged towards fervency, be nudged towards a, a, a passion for the things of God, to be nudged in the right direction. We do that for each other, don't we? And that's why John 17, 26, Jesus made it known. He prayed this prayer that I will continue to make it known that the love with which, and Jesus is talking to the God the Father, the love with which you have loved me may be in them. That means the disciples. The love that you have loved me with may be in my disciples and I in them as well. And so first, instruction we learn from Peter's letter is sober for prayer. Second, fervent in love. And the third is eager to host. Verse 9. Why do I say that? Now in the Amplified Version, Amplified Classic Version of this verse, it reads, Practice hospitality to one another, those of the household of faith. Be hospitable, be a lover of strangers, with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way, who are of Christ's body. And in each instance, do it ungrudgingly, cordially and graciously, without complaining, but as 
representing him. Now, First Peter is a pretty serious book, right? He's writing about those who are, you know, suffering or going to suffer even more uh, for the sake of Christ. But here in verse 9, such a practical instruction. He is calling them to show hospitality to fellow believers who may be moving uh, because of exile from place to place. That's why uh, you get verses like Hebrews 13, verse 2 that says, do not neglect to show hospitality right, to strangers. So Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In a time where there's growing hostility, uh, you know, we counter that by how? Self-preservation? No. We are being called to counter that with a generosity as how God Himself was generous towards us. Remember 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 11, right? Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I urge you, right, to live as exiles in this world. How? By welcoming others the same way God has welcomed us. And think of the cross and how welcomed Christ has uh, made us. You know, He has made the way possible for us to approach the throne of grace. And it is only by the blood of Jesus that our sins have been forgiven and we can come and approach God and be reconciled to our Creator and live a life as new creation towards the redemption. Uh, of the age. Now that is how God has welcomed us and been generous towards us and in the same way we do likewise, right? And there is frank recognition in this verse itself, if you think about it, that Peter is acknowledging, he recognizes that showing hospitality can be costly, can be burdensome, can be uncomfortable. And so he's reminding them, show hospitality without grumbling, without muttering, because we have a tendency to do that, right? We want to, but then it gets costly, tiring, burdensome. We're like, oh, uh, don't know, house not nice enough, or whatever, you know, clean the house. And I feel that sometimes, but here Peter is reminding that we do it cheerfully, without grumbling, and he recognizes that. And I want to put it forth to, to you guys, church, that this season, despite the fact that, you know, when we are outside, you can't have more than five at a table, it is an amazing opportunity to have people in our homes, five to a home. There is no better time to seize this opportunity to just be hospitable. Maybe you've uh, done that before. Uh, maybe you haven't, whatever it is. Can I encourage the season that we take up the opportunity to in our own way? Maybe some of you don't have like your own house. You're going to share with other people. Find different ways to be welcoming, to be, uh, you know, generous to show hospitality to different people. It doesn't have to be just the opening of our homes. It can be in various ways, right? Uh, um, Daryl Gooder, one of my favorite uh, 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 authors, uh, uh, has really impacted the way that I think of church. Uh, he writes this, The community formed around the Lord's table is a redeemed and transformed society where love, hope, forgiveness, and mutual accountability 
are palpable, and the divisive attitudes and actions of hostility and hate spurned. The church proclaims and embodies a new social ethic in which deeds of mercy and acts of charity are a natural and organic part of its life, and as it manifests the liberating possibilities of God's reign to the world. And this is like re-socialization of what it means to be a people of God, that we are together uh, so much and so intensely and so purposefully that it shapes us, right? Not just the people that we are with, but ourselves. And together we grow in this uh, showing hospitality. So uh, we've talked about sober for prayer, fervent in love, eager to host. What's the fourth one? I'll bring you to the fourth one real quick and then we'll close. The fourth is being diligent in service, right? Verses 10 to 11. And Peter here writes each. Um, he writes, as each has received a gift. What does each mean? It means each. Everyone has a unique gift or each of us have been uniquely gifted. Uh, and and in, in what way? He talks about God's varied grace, right, in verse 10. That means, uh, in some versions, God's manifold grace. Uh, um, th like each with different strokes, with different uh, pattern, right? That's how varied God's grace is. And each one according to how He wills. Each one of us have been gifted and have the capacity and ability given by the Holy Spirit. And there is a difference, church, between what is individual property versus what is for the common good, for the benefit of others. First Corinthians 12 verse 7 and 11 tells us plainly, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. None of us are to keep our gifts for our own use, right? But all of us are to steward the grace of God that's been given us. And so there may be divine prerogative of the Master, the Spirit of God, right? He apportions according to His will divine prerogative of the Master, but our due diligence is to manage, to steward what we've been given, to be ministers of these gifts, so that each of us are ministers, not just some. Every single one of us are to minister and to manage and to steward what we've been given for the common good, for the benefit of others. Our serving, both reflects who we are, it also determines who we become, right? And if we want to become, we serve, because in our serving, we grow, we mature, we become wiser by the grace of God. You know, to be a family of God, it takes service. To be a missional people, it takes service. To be resilient disciples, it takes sacrifice, it takes a cost, it costs us, it ought to cause, it ought to hurt. It has to. Otherwise, we're not growing in resilience. Every one of us in our capacity, serving in church, serving through church, serving beyond the church. Every one of us are co-laborers. Every one of us are empowered by the Spirit of God. And I want to say, even as we draw to a close real soon, is that there is creative power when we do that when we recognize that 
you and I are uniquely empowered by the Spirit of God. Not yesterday, not just like past age, at this very moment in this time in history, within the grand narrative of the story of God, your gift matters to the body and matters to the world. And there is creative power to redeem. There is creative power to heal when we use our little gifts faithfully and diligently, when we steward it, not for our own pride, but for what verse 11 tells us, for the glory of God. When we steward it like that, there is so much redemption that comes. And it's not just the creative power, it's not just that is able to redeem, but there is a liberative power. Why? Because, you know, it's risky. It's risky to serve with our gifts. It's risky to entrust something for someone to serve in, isn't it? It's not easy, uh, we rub shoulders, but in that, there is freedom because we are allowing the grace of God to be expressed in its multiple, in its varied form. And as we do that, we really become this body of Christ that the Bible talks about, right? So Walter Brueggemann has this uh, 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 quote that I wanted to just share. It's not very long, but it's, it's impactful. And he writes this, Exile is the way to new life in new land. In covenantal categories, embrace of curse is the route to blessing. In New Testament categories, embrace of death is the way to life. Now, T. Scott Daniel said, whatever dislocation, uncertainty, and disempowerment the church may be experiencing in the present, and that is what we are facing right now as the people of God, even in this pandemic season, isn't it? Uh, dislocation, uncertainty, disempowerment, it may indeed be an act of God helping His people to experience anew the possibilities of covenantal faithfulness. You and I, the people of God, may discover what faithfulness looks like and how holiness is possible even when surrounding culture fails to support and even mistreat those committed to Christ as Lord. One of the key repetitive words in the passage we've been looking at all morning First Peter, you would see the whole chapter 4 starts with talking about the suffering of Christ and ends with talking about suffering for Christ. First Peter chapter 4, the suffering of Christ and suffering for Christ. What am I going with this? I want to call back to that statement that I made at the start of this message, which is, I think be living faithfully as the exiles of God, right? In its shaping our imagination, our intercession and our involvement in the world is what would determine whether we will be found faithful until the end. If we would remember that whatever hardships and struggles that you and I face right now as the people of God, we are pressing in. We want to stay sober for prayer, 
fervent in love, eager to host and diligent in service. We're not backing down. We need to press on for the things of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is advancing, because we are part of his kingdom, because we need to continue to proclaim and witness and speak of him and testify. Why? Because we are participating in the work of God. We are participating in the suffering and the glory that Jesus wants to bring about for his church to mature, to become his bride, and for many more to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And so we remember that the glory of God is what gives meaning to our hardship and our struggles, right? When we struggle and we find ourselves questioning the meaning of what we're going through, why? Uh, why do I need to do this? Why is this, being disciples so hard? It's so difficult. It's challenging. Yes, it is. But we remember when we put it in the light and under the light and in the perspective of how Christ's suffering gives meaning to everything. Everything in our life stems from the meaning found derived from what Jesus suffered on our behalf and on behalf of all of creation. And we put our suffering and our struggles and our hardship under that light. That is when we derive the proper meaning we have for where we are right now and who we are becoming. And so I call us as a church, would we, would we continue to press on together? Would we continue to grow deeper and being rooted in God? so that God's glory becomes foremost until the revelation, the full revelation of Jesus is upon us. Wherever you are, I want to just make two calls. And one is if you're listening to this, I know this passage primarily speaking to those of us who are believers already, but if you're listening to this and uh, you're not a believer and you haven't uh, said, yes, I want to commit my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you this morning to take this opportunity and say yes to Him, that you want to know who Jesus is and you know that He has given His life for your sake. And we've got people who are ready to pray with you after the end of the service. Um, the link will be shown at the comment section below. Uh, they will be happy to pray for you. So if that's you and you say, I want to respond to that, I want to say yes to Jesus this morning, uh, we'll be praying for you real short after this, okay? And the second group of uh, people that I want to issue a call to as a response to God this morning is you want, you say, you're saying yes, you've heard this message and uh, God, you just feel like God is calling you to uh, serve uh, God's renewing your, your desire to serve so that His glory truly be seen, right? Specifically, that you want to, you're saying, yes, I want to serve in such a way that God's glory be seen. I want to serve like what first, uh, Peter is writing about in this passage, and that's you. I want to respond even now at God's tugging on my heart. Uh, then we'll also uh, want to pray for you right now, right? So you can respond in your own way wherever you are watching this right now. Father, we just pray that, you know, for uh, any one of us, our friends here who may be saying yes to you, Jesus, uh, we just ask that um, even now uh, that you would continue to just draw them to know who you are. Uh, and I want to pray that uh, brother or sister, if that's you, uh, and that you know that Jesus has died 
on the cross for your sins and so that you would have a new life and be made new because of Him uh, and by His grace, not by your own merit, not by your own achievements in any way, but by what He's done for you. And you want to say yes on this morning, salvation is for you and you have eternal life as you commit your life into Jesus' hands. God, we just also want to pray for those of us who are responding to this message and just hearing and just sensing the tug of your, your hand upon their hearts. Father, I want to pray for these brothers and sisters who are hearing and saying, yes, I want my service uh, uh, to be like that. I want, to be, I want my service to be one that is diligent, that is you know, fervent in love. I want to serve so that God's glory be seen uh, in my world, in my spheres of influence, around whatever circles I am in. I want to serve God. I want to press in as His disciple. And I want to continue doing that until His glory is fully revealed. And you're saying yes to that. And Father, we just pray for this. We pray for these hearts. We ask that you, uh, whatever you've deposited in their hearts, that you would continue to germinate and grow uh, into and flourish into more uh, uh, deepening uh, talks with you and encounter in the secret place and also just whatever they're drawing from you right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, that you continue to draw and speak to them throughout this coming week of how their service brings glory to you and how you are empowering them to do just that as their heart desires. And so we pray for each other this morning. We remember to love each other as you've called us to love each other. And we thank you for your word that speaks life into our life. We, we ask that, um, yeah, that each of us would just take uh, what you are dropping in our hearts as a result of this message and just live and walk it out even as we go the rest of this week. We give you thanks and we praise you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.